You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. the seven years allowed for her growth to maturity. But Jacob was willing to wait because his heart was fixed upon her. Marriage in the Lord is one of the most wonderful things upon earth. And Jacob's marriage had been planned by God. True marriages are made in heaven. And the reason the world says that many of them are waylaid before reaching earth is that too few people are willing to wait seven years and know those years to be but a few days because of the depth and the power of true love. When studying the life of Jacob in the Old Testament, there are a lot of lessons to learn from in him, not to repeat in your own life. But there is one area of his life we can learn from, and that is in loving his spouse fully. Jacob's life was not an easy one, but God in his great love blessed Jacob with a love to last him a lifetime. Today in his message, Pastor Mike walks us through the love that Jacob had for his wife, Rachel. What a great reminder that in the hardest of times of life, God is looking to bless us. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 29 as he continues his message, The School of Hard Knocks. And then in verse 7, it seems as if Jacob is trying to get rid of them to be alone with Rachel, treating them like the little brother of your girlfriend. Hey, kid, here's a dollar. Go buy yourself an ice cream cone or something, you know, so that I can be alone with your sister. Isn't that exactly what was going on? Now, we don't know, and the Bible doesn't give us any additional information, But it is possible that Jacob had already seen Rachel previously before that which is recorded for us here in this text of Scripture. We're not quite sure about that. But anyway, he was struck by her beauty, you see. And so by verse 18, notice here in our text, he's already in love. Now someone may be thinking at this point, this is infatuation on Jacob's part. Or Jacob had been out in the sun too long. Or he had been too long away from women, period. And so the first woman that he saw, he became, you know, taken with. But you see, the proof of his love is seen in something that occurs towards the end of Jacob's life some 70 years later. And we'll treat that text of Scripture down the road, but briefly, let me summarize it for you. In Genesis chapter 48, in verse 7, Jacob has become ill. He's dying. 
He's on his deathbed. He summons for his son, Joseph. He's ready to pass along the patriarchal blessing. He calls for Joseph. And what's odd about this, before he ever goes on and launches into the patriarchal blessing, he rehearses his experience of his wife's death. It raises the question in my mind, what in the world does this have to do with the patriarchal blessing? And the answer to that question is absolutely nothing. You see, there was something about Joseph that reminded him about his wife, Rachel. Looking into Joseph's face as he stood there with his two sons around Jacob's deathbed, and as he looked into his son Joseph's face, there was something that reminded him about his wife, Rachel. You know, I mean, we take on certain physical characteristics of our parents, you know that, the genes and such, the gene pool is such that we kind of look like our moms or our dads, and so it was with, with Joseph. As he looked into Joseph's face, his mind went back to his wife, Rachel, who, by the way, had already passed. Gang, this was true love. She passed, but he's still struck by her, even on his deathbed. So it speaks volume to us about the love, the genuineness of the love that he had for his wife, Rachel. But there's something else about Jacob's love for Rachel. It was a patient love, as all true loves are. Let's go back to our text. Notice he asks his uncle Laban there in verse 20, what are her wages? And in response, he says seven years. Verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and notice again, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Now listen, let me tell you something. This was no small thing. Because think about it. We live in an age of instant gratification. That's the society where we live in. Seven days, never mind seven years, are too long. So what should we take away from this? Well, let me speak to all of you who are young. Young people, don't rush off into marriage. Wait for the maturity of love. Let love bloom to its fullest. Because it'll, if you do that, it will only give stability to your Christian home when finally you find that husband, when finally you find that wife. Just wait on it. God's big enough to do the work. Listen, God knows what's in your heart. God knows whether or not you're supposed to be single for an extended period of time or married, and, and he's big enough you know, to get things done for you. Just wait on him. Just trust in him. And don't force the issue. Okay, so you meet someone, you know, take your time. Move slowly. Move quickly. Now, I, I know that I'm not a great example of someone who did that, but remember, I was an unbeliever when I met my wife, Diane. You know, talk about love at first sight. You want to hear this story? So I was living in Gallup, New Mexico. I was substitute teaching. I had bombed in, fascinated by that area of the country. And I was driving on Route 66 that passed right through Gallup, New Mexico. And I happened to hit it on a Saturday. There's a great and large American Indian population in Gallup, New Mexico. And on Saturdays, a lot of the Indians would have their jewelry, pottery, out on the streets. And they would sell them. And so I was fascinated by that culture. So I went home, 
And after visiting with my family, I decided, hey, I'm going back to New Mexico, and I'm going to see if I can get a teaching job. And so I did. I went back. In fact, the same day that I was there, they signed me up, and they put me on the list for substitute teaching. And I found this other guy running around town just doing crazy things. I was an unbeliever. We rented this place together. And on one day, we were in a bar. And we were shooting pool. And all of a sudden, as I'm shooting pool with my roommate, this foxy woman comes into the bar. And she's all decked out, man. She's got this real foxy hat on, man. This is back in the early 70s, right? Anyway. I tell you, man, I was struck. I, man, I tell you, Cupid shot an arrow right through me. <laughs> Who is that girl, you know? She was out with her friends. It was her birthday. And so her friends were taking her from bar to bar, you know, buying her drinks and celebrating her birthday. So anyway, I started making some inquiries and all of that, and I found out who she was. And I actually planned a party, and I found out, this is really crazy. I mean, God set this whole thing up, no, no doubt about it, even when I was an unbeliever. So if God can do that in an unbeliever's life, just think what he could do about in your life, right? So don't put the cart before the horse. So anyway, she was a teacher, and she's working right across the street from where I live now, where we've rented this house, me and my roommate, and I could see her from my window. And on recess, she would be outside with the kids, taking care of the kids. It was a daycare center. She, she taught preschool. So, man, I shot out that door as quick as I can. And I said, oh, listen, you know, we're, we're having a party on Saturday. And so she, she says, yeah, I, I'll come to the party. So she invited one of her. I says, well, you know, come with one of your friends. So she invited one of her friends. She comes to the party. And at the party, after everyone left, I made sure that me and her were all alone. And I kissed her. It wasn't like a real passionate, you know, kind of a thing. And, and then she left. And then we set up for another date and all of that. But love at first sight? Oh, yeah, love at first sight, man. Now we've been married for like 44 years we've been married. It just worked out. But I don't encourage. And by the way, we got married after knowing one another for only two weeks. I know, wow. So I don't, I don't encourage anyone to do that. But notice what it says there in verse 20. It says, it seemed like only a few days. Why? Because he loved her. You know, Donald Gray Barnhouse, one of my favorite writers, commenting on this, said, and I quote, here is the difference between love that has been to Bethel, that is the place of worship, the place where we come into contact with God. Remember, not only Jacob, but his grandfather Abraham had both their encounters at Bethel. Remember, they, they set up the altar there, the stones one on top of another, and it became the place of meeting with God, a place of worship. So Barnhouse, in his writings, refers to that, and he says, here's the difference between love that has been to Bethel and love that has not been anywhere. Jacob looked upon Rachel, and he never had eyes for anyone else. She was probably very young, and the seven years allowed for her growth to maturity. But Jacob was willing to wait because his heart was fixed upon her. Marriage in the Lord is one of the most wonderful things upon earth. And Jacob's marriage had been planned by God. True marriages are made in heaven. And the reason the world says that many of them are waylaid before reaching earth is that too few people are willing to wait seven years and know those years to be but a few days because of the depth 
and the power of true love. And how true that is. So gang, be careful. Wait on the Lord. Don't put the cart before the horse. So listen, in many ways, Jacob is not a good example for Christians. But in marriage, he is exemplary. Now, a marriage like this is a marriage that God has ordained. It's a marriage that's lasting. And it is surely one of the greatest blessings of life. Now, there's another lesson. So that's one of the brightest points of our text this morning. But let's get back to, our, to learn these other lessons. Another lesson this section of Genesis teaches us is that it is true what Paul has recorded for us in the book of Galatians in chapter 6 and verse 7. Whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. You say, what am I talking about? And how does this refer to our text? Well, think about it. Up until this point, what was Jacob's impressions of life? Well, you can get by in this world by scheming, by living by your wit. Jacob bought into the idea that the wicked prosper, that the innocent are easy prey, that you don't have to pay the consequences of your actions. But listen, and this is a part of the school of hard knocks, Jacob was about to discover what is recorded for us in the book of Proverbs, chapter 13 and verse 15, the way of the transgressors is hard. Well, listen, God didn't waste any time beginning Jacob's schooling. Let's go back to our text. Notice in verse 15, after one month, after one month, after finally arriving at Haran in his uncle Laban's home, it was only one month, after the family visit is over, folks, and according to verse 15, Jacob is about to become a servant to his uncle Laban. And remember, this is the same guy who later on we'll discover had servants himself. But now he's about to become a servant. Now, you got to go back to the promise that God had made Jacob in chapter 25 and verse 23 that the older brother Esau would serve the younger brother Jacob. And the irony now in all of this, and this is a part of the hard knocks, this was a lesson that he had to learn, Jacob is serving his uncle. That should have never happened. That wasn't a part of God's plan. But that's what happens when you monkey around with God's plan, you see. You bring that upon yourself. And then what takes place is even harder. Notice in verse 19. Let's read it again. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. But when the seven years were up, Laban seemed to have conveniently forgotten the deal. And he had to be reminded. Because notice in verse 21, Jacob said to Laban, and it's probably in this form, the inflection of his voice is, hey, give me my wife already, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. Hey, listen, I've fulfilled my commitment of seven years. What's going on here? But then Laban himself, a master of trickery, right? Jacob finally met his match. He pulled, as I've already mentioned, the old switcheroo. And in verses 23 and 25, let's read it again. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. 
Jump ahead to verse 25. And so it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah lying next to Jacob. And he said to Laban, running out of the tent probably, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Well, Jacob has no choice. As we've already discovered, as we've read in our text, he married Rachel, and he had to serve his uncle Laban for another seven years. Now, what's the irony in this? Well, in this, Jacob learned the right of the firstborn is to be respected. Deceived by Rachel's father, Laban, even as he deceived his own father, Isaac, and the firstborn, Esau. What's the point I'm making? Whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. If you sow to the flesh, folks, you're going to reap corruption. You'll pay the consequences. He was just simply reaping what he had sown. It's poetic justice. It's poetic retribution. It's a sad picture. But we mustn't forget it is all in God's hands. What God was doing was ultimately for Jacob's well-being and benefit. Therefore, it did not fail in its effect. And as I've already suggested, Jacob learned the lessons that God wanted to teach him. And in fact, he did grow in his walk and his relationship with God. Remember the name change from Jacob to Israel, the one who was governed by God. He was molded. He was shaped. He gained new insights into God's truths. Okay, so let's bring this down to personal terms. And this is the very same thing that God wants to do in each and every one of our lives. And God isn't finished with any of us. I've been walking with the Lord now for as long as we've been married. My wife and I both gave our lives to Christ within the first year of our marriage, so we've been walking with the Lord for 44 years. I don't have a wired, folks. God isn't finished with me. You always hear me use this illustration. I got a sign hanging around my neck under construction, and so do you. God isn't finished with any of us. He still has a work to do within our lives. So what do we take away from all of this? Well, listen, we're in this school of higher learning. You can't get around that. The day that you invited Christ to become your Lord and Savior, you, you also enrolled in God's university, and God is the professor. So make it easy on yourself. No, an absence altogether of hard knocks. There's an easy way for you to go, or there's a hard way for you to go. God loves you so much that he's not going to let you get away from, with anything. He's going to complete the work in you that he has begun. And you can be sure of that. In the 32nd Psalm, we brought this up last message, but in the 32nd Psalm in verses 8 and 9, make it easy on yourself. I will instruct you, and this, by the way, is the way that God would rather instruct you and teach you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. This is the way that he communicates to us today, right? Even as he's speaking to you this morning, I hope and I trust that he's speaking to you this morning. Make it easy on yourself. Learn the lessons that are contained within this text, in this Genesis series. Take those things that we learn and are taught and put them to practice within our lives. Make it easy on yourself. Allow God to do that work of regeneration. Remember, this is what this is all about. There's an easy way. 
And if you don't allow God to do it in an easy way, he loves you so much, he'll do it in a harder way. Let's go on, verse 9. Do not be like the horse or like the mule or like the donkey or like the, you fill in the blank, which have no understanding. You guys have understanding? Come on, you guys are smart. You guys have wisdom. You guys have knowledge. You're here week in and week out studying God's word, right? You should be in the groove, man. You know God's word, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bridle to get them to go in the direction. This is the picture. It's a beast of burden. Don't be the beast of burden. Let God guide you with his eye, lest he puts the bit, which is a chunk of iron in your mouth, with the bridle attached to it, the leather straps, and to get you going in the direction that he wants you to go in, he has to pull the leather strap, which causes the iron chunk, the bit, get up in the corner of your mouth. It hurts, man. That's how they get the beasts of burden, going in the direction that he wants. It hurts, though. It doesn't have to be that way. God doesn't have to get the bit and the bridle out. He would rather lead you with his eye, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near to you. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? He wants to take control of your life. He wants to get in the driver's seat. He wants you to stay upon the straight and the narrow. He wants to direct your course. And so we should all grow in difficult circumstances. We should learn God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. And so by God's grace, let us turn from sin to live a life honest in the sight of all men and pleasing to God. Listen, gang, we are chastened. We are trained by God. And real wisdom is found in accepting it. Old tendencies need to be corrected. Old weaknesses need to be made strong. Old faults need to be removed. For if we yield ourselves to the hands of the master potter, he will fashion the clay in spite of our frailties into the vessel of honor. You know, there's an old poem. I have absolutely no idea where I found it, where I got it. I was researching it. I was looking through my commentaries and I don't even know how I got it, but I thought it would be appropriate here. And I'm just going to close with this. And the stanza goes like this. Yet take by way for sure, by way is best. Stretch or contract me, by poor debtor, tis but the tuning of my breast. To make the music better. Allow God to do that work in each and every one of your lives. Remember, gang, there's a hard way. Make it easy on yourself. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. 
And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.